Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Jones with a high drive to left field. Gardner back, and that one is gone! Maria, a swing and a drive! To deep right! Away back! Off the pole! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. It is the walk-off alongside Ryan Spader. I'm Holden Kushner, and we are joined by Sportsnet LA's, of course, the Dodgers studio analyst, Jerry Hairston Jr. Had a 16-year Major League career. A little time with that with the Washington Nationals. Got a chance to do a little feature on him. Jerry, thank you so much for hopping on the show. And before we get into a lot of baseball, what are you doing to stay busy? Well, uh, I started my own uh, podcast. It's called uh, Caught Looking. Uh, I was going to do it uh, sometime uh, this season, probably late July, uh, probably during the All-Star break, but things have changed, obviously, uh, so I don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, and then when I'm in L.A. doing the Dodgers, i got a place there, but right now I'm sitting at home quarantining myself, self, social distancing uh, when I can, uh, but I'm basically just standing around the house trying to keep busy. Hey, brother. Um so one thing you and I talked about before is uh, all the availability of information that maybe you didn't even have during your career. And one thing that stands out to me about your numbers is how good you were on the first pitch and even on the second pitch, regardless of the first pitch being a strike or a ball. Had you had all that information at the time, do you think you would have been like extra aggressive up there? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I remember right we were having this uh, discussion was last year or two years ago. You had uh, let me know that I uh, my numbers on the first pitch were ridiculous, and I showed Nomar Garciaparra, and he just started laughing. He said, I told you, you should have been swinging at the first pitch. That's what I did. you know. And obviously, Nomar really should be in the Hall of Fame, and he was notorious for being a first ball uh, fastball hitter. So I didn't really know that information at the time. I was a guy who was aggressive when I was coming up to the big leagues, and I, I got through the minor leagues pretty quickly been a year and a half in the minor leagues and when I got to the big leagues teams try to you know the Orioles wanted to use utilize my speed and they wanted me to take more pitches uh get on base work the count uh and you know obviously it was tough when you're hitting one one two all the time or oh two I struggled you know you know the first couple of years of my career then I got a little bit more aggressive uh and and said you know what these are my at-bats I got to be more aggressive but I never knew that I was that successful on the first pitch. Had I known, I would have done a lot more first pitch swing. Yeah, well, um, some other success you had in your career was, unfortunately for me, because I'm a Phillies fan, is 09 with the Yankees, you got your ring. And uh, something that I always look back on is, like, how did that Yankees team, as good as you guys were, end up beating the Phillies, who had Cliff Lee, who was he seemed unhittable in that postseason, and Chase Utley, who had one of the best postseasons uh, World Series since um, since uh, Reggie Jackson. How did you guys yeah. overcome that? 
Well, uh, the one thing is we knew going in they were a great team. They were the defending champions at the time. Uh, they had a little bit of everything. They were kind of similar to our team. You had a stud left-handed pitcher in Cliff Lee. We had CC Sabathia. We had an incredible infield led by Derek Jeter, uh, A-Rod, Robinson Cano, Mark Teixeira. You guys had Howard, Chase Sudley, as you just mentioned, Jimmy Rollins, and they had a complete team. And, you know, we know Chase Sudley was on fire. Uh, I know that the pitching staff was trying to make it a point to not have guys in front of him get on base because he was just that locked in. And we understood that, you know, even though Cliff Lee was dominant in that postseason run and against us, we knew that he couldn't pitch every game. You know, he came in to Yankee Stadium game one and really, really took it to us. And they, they got game one. We were down 0-1 in the series. And we knew that, okay, we just need to play our game. I actually got to start game two. Uh, but if we just play our game, we figure out a way to even up the series. And if we play our game, we're going to be uh, the team that comes out victorious because we knew overall we felt we had the best team in baseball. And, you know, yes, Cliff Lee was a stud. Chase Sutley was 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 a, was a set as well, but overall we thought we had the better team. Just a real quick, um, the Phillies started Pedro Martinez in games two and six. Now Pedro Martinez obviously one of the best pitchers in history, but he was at the tail end of his career, and that game six was the last game he ever pitched. Uh, do you think they made a mistake going with Pedro as the number two in that series? I don't think so because you know you got to remember even though he was at the tail end of his career. He was having some success that season. Now, the velocity wasn't what it was when it was, when it was the Boston Red Sox was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, which looked like to the hitter about 100, 101. Uh, it, it wasn't the same, but he was still effective. He was using his breaking stuff a lot more, using the changeup a lot more, and he was really pitching with his brain and location. And he had success against our lineup. And he really pitched a really good game in game two. He gave the Phillies a chance to win. And but we were able to fight through and, and pull away in that game two. So uh, Pedro, you know, they went with him in game two. I would have I would have done the same thing because of his past success against a lot of the Yankee hitters. Uh, and he pitched a good ball game for them. He just, they just didn't score enough runs that, that night. Hey, Jerry, so I'm looking at the Dodgers here, and we had a conversation. This is actually what uh, got Ryan to, to give you a ring to try and get you on. So let's say there's no baseball this year, which I think is a legitimate possibility. Um, Mookie Betts, the Dodgers gave up a bunch for Mookie Betts. So would they be more likely to go as far as they can to sign him in free agency, given the fact that they gave up bodies to get him and they would get nothing out of him this year? Um, well, that is a very good question. I hope that's not the case. I hope there's some baseball to be played. I think out of the all, all the sports that are out there, uh, the, the sport that you can do the best social distancing while playing the sport is probably baseball. <laughs> a basketball, you're always colliding with somebody in the paint, and you have to guard somebody. In baseball, I did, I did social distancing as a, as a player. You know, I got to play <laughs> took my hacks, and I made a right turn after first base and head right back to the dugout. So I was, <laughs> I was rarely on the field. So I think baseball is probably the sport that will probably get everything going once uh, it, it gets cleared. I'm hoping that's the case. But to get back to Mookie Betts, yes, the Dodgers gave up a lot for him. Nobody saw this coming, you know. So the Dodgers did the right thing in trading for Mookie Betts and David Price. And to be honest with you, I think when they trade for a guy like Mookie Betts, 
in the back of their mind, they said, okay, hey, we're going to bring him in the, in, the, in the mix, into the fold. He's going to love L.A., uh, and we're going to make a run at signing him. So everybody's going to take a hit financially, uh, even if games are played. Uh, everybody's going to be taking a hit. Franchises are going to lose a lot of money. Uh, but the one thing is the big market teams, I think, have a better chance of rebounding. And we know um, the Dodgers have a chance to, to be aggressive with a guy like Mookie Betts if they want to resign. Uh, I will say this. You make some interesting points on the social distancing. I don't know what you're going to do about the dugout, though. I mean, you can put nine guys out there. You still got to sit in the dugout, right? And there's no more chewing tobacco. Yeah, think, you can't spit sunflower seeds. What are you going to do? In a bubble? No, well, you can do it. Now, I had heard that they're going to um, have players, if they do it in Arizona, sit in the stands. But what you can do is have a, a, a make a huge canopy, uh, like a makeshift shift dugout. And not everybody has to be in the dugout. You can have pitchers that are not pitching be in the clubhouse. You know, leave them in the clubhouse. They can watch the game from there, you know. Just have the active players or players that have a chance to go in the game, stay in the dugout. You have plenty of space in the bullpen for the pitchers or other players that are playing. They can stay in the clubhouse. So you have an opportunity to, to make sure you have some space. Um, and, and I think they're going to they're gonna be able to do that. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm hoping they're going to be able to do that. So here's a guy, my, my favorite pitcher for a long, long time. He's the best I've ever seen. I thought I, it was Clements, but it's Clayton Kershaw. At this point, the injuries have kind of mounted up. What is Clayton Kershaw at this point in his career compared to where he was even three years ago? Same guy, different guy? Uh, he's a different guy, but I'm telling you guys, the last couple of years he's been playing catch-up with injuries. So he's had the back-back, he's had a little bit of hip issue, then the lower back comes back in, then the mid-back, then the shoulder uh, that's stemmed from the back. Uh, he came in the camp probably about 10 pounds lighter, in great shape, and I ran into him. Actually, I interviewed him uh, for our network for Sports in LA, and he said, this is the best I've felt in three or four years. He went to um, driveline and worked on certain things to help uh, more spin on his, on his baseball, on his breaking ball, on his fastball, and he has never been more excited about him – you know, about the prospects of him coming back and having a bounce back here. Now, he had a really, really good year last year, but I think he felt that he was strong coming into the season and he was going to be even stronger once the postseason uh, came around. You know, for the last three or four years, I really believe he kind of, because of injuries, kind of limped towards the finish line, if you will. So when he, by the time he got the postseason play, instead of throwing 94-95, he was throwing 91-92. I think he had a plan in place this year to make sure – he would be fresh heading into the postseason. And I think if baseball does come back, which I hope it does, you got to remember, guys like Clayton Kershaw, the older guys, David Price, are going to be fresh when um, the postseason comes around because of, of shortened schedule. And we don't have any Major League Baseball. We got no hockey. We got no NBA. But you might think there's nothing to bet on, and you'd be wrong. Bet online. BetOnline.ag is the website. BetOnline.ag is our exclusive partner. They got hundreds of events, games, props to wager on. They got an online casino, poker, blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. And if you are missing the NFL, I am too. No problem. BetOnline has live 
daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It's pretty cool. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, Stock Prices, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's open 24 hours a day. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today. Receive your new welcome bonus, Bet Online, your new online wagering solution. That's betonline.ag. Hey, uh, Jerry, on that, um, one thing that I hear all the time when I put out Kershaw numbers is everybody goes, oh, you know, what about the postseason? And tell me the postseason numbers. And um, the fact of the matter is, uh, yeah, he's had his postseason woes, but um, nobody remembers Randy Johnson as the guy who lost a record five straight postseason starts. They remember Randy Johnson, the guy who was the MVP in 2001. Uh, Do you think that Really, all it's going to take is one big success for Kershaw in the postseason to just put that all behind him. I, I believe so. If you look at Justin Verlander's numbers, you know he his numbers aren't gaudy, and he's had a Hall of Fame career. He's as good a pitcher as there has been in this game. It's so hard to pitch in the postseason. Um, the strike zone gets a little smaller, and because the umpires understand that everybody's watching, so I got to make sure I call a good game. So it's not like a game in August where you get six eight inches off the plate. Uh, so I think it's a little bit difficult to pitch in postseason, and I think starting pitchers uh, understand that. Uh, so in Clayton Kershaw's case, I think just for him, uh, he wants to win so badly. I've been around a lot of guys uh, in my career, guys. Uh, I've been around Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken Jr., Sammy Sosa, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, so many superstars, and none of them are as competitive uh, or more competitive than Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw wants to beat you at, at, at anything, whether it's ping pong, bowling, cards, it, it doesn't matter. So I think for him, he wants to win a championship because he knows that he's, he has been relied on to lead the staff and lead the Dodgers, and he feels that I want to do it for the city of L.A., the Dodger fans, and my teammates. So I know he's put that on him. And I think that's what superstar players do. And they put it on him, so put it on their shoulders. So uh, he knows he's had a Hall of Fame career. If his, if his career ended today, he's going to the Hall of Fame as a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I think for him, he doesn't really care so much about that. He wants to be able to win a title for his teammates and the city. Brother, you bring up uh, Kershaw's competitiveness, and it, it, it kind of made me think of something. I'm going out of left field here on you. But um, somebody else who we talk about every so often, Michael Jordan, probably the most competitive person in history of humankind. Um, uh, He gets kind of sort of a bad rep, I guess, from the LeBron uh, supporters who think LeBron's better than Jordan. You and I of the school have thought that Jordan's better. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Stupid. It's a stupid take. Come on. how much better well, do you well, think? It, it'll, it'll all be over in about a month or so once the documentary comes out. Then everybody That's what I'm saying. <laughs> sorry, but, sorry. Let, listen, Spader, I got to hop in here. He's a yeah. 100%. I've been telling everybody this. All these millennials that have never, you, that have never really seen Jordan when he was in his prime, like even back in the late 80s yeah. through the mid 90s, this guy, once they see the documentary, they're going to freak out and they're going to be like, okay, he is the best. Unless they're just stubborn. Yeah. But what one thing I just I gotta ask you because I know you're a big hoops dude is how much better would Jordan be with all the knowledge like we talked about you if you had known how much better you would have played swinging early in the count how much better would he have been had we known the value of that three point shot I mean he took three less threes a game than LeBron has in his career and LeBron has only amped it up in the last few years really 
Yeah, well, you hate to uh, single out uh, an athlete like Jordan because he did everything right. Um, and he's 27-0, and 0, guys, in a series that he was favored in. 27-0. and 0. He never choked, ever. That's what's so fascinating. I know you guys, I don't write, you follow me on Twitter, and, and I always, you know, I have on, on, my, uh, on my profile that I'm a Jordan historian. I, I just find him so fascinating. See, I grew up in Chicago, and, you know, he was my favorite player growing up. But the one thing that, I re- that really kind of changed me as far as how I viewed Michael Jordan, because I wanted to be a professional athlete, was my grandfather. My grandfather, Sam, uh, was the oldest of 14 kids. He had to uh, leave uh, school at, at eighth grade because his father got sick, and he had, he had to work in the steel mill in Birmingham, Alabama, to provide for his family, okay? So he grinded uh, for uh, four, three or four years working the steel mills uh, to provide for his family, and then he just was discovered uh, playing for the, for the team, steel mill baseball team, by the Negro Leagues, went on to play pro ball and continued to provide for his family. My grandfather, who played in the Negro Leagues, was the 11th black player to play in the major leagues, the first black player to, ever to play for the Chicago White Sox. He was the hardest working person I ever knew. And then he told me about Michael Jordan, when he, the guy he coached for the Birmingham Barons. He told me, Jerry, I see this guy every day. I have never seen a person work harder than Michael Jordan. For my grandfather to say that, that shook me. Because my grandfather never lied to me, okay? So he would tell me that Michael Jordan would get to the park early, work on his swing, get off the tee, take his flips. Then he'd go for early work. He'd go hit on the field, early work, hit tirelessly, come back, eat lunch, okay? Maybe play some cards. Then go back to the cage, take his swings again, uh, work on his craft, off the tee, off flips. Then take regular batting practice, okay? and then come in, get, grab a, something, a sandwich or something to eat, and then play the game. He did this every single day. So much so that my grandfather told me, you have to slow down. You're going to kill yourself. You're never going to make it if you keep doing this, this to yourself. And, and MJ told my grandfather, hey, I'm playing catch-up. I haven't picked up a bat in over 10 years, uh, and i got to make sure I, I, I give myself the best chance to get to the big league. He was so laser-like focused to be a big leaguer. My grandfather said he would have made it. If it wasn't for the strike of 94 heading into 95, Michael Jordan would have never come back to play basketball. He didn't want to to cross over the the ticket line, you know, for for, uh, the picket line for the strike. So he said, okay, well, I got nothing else to do. I'll go back playing basketball. And that's how he became a basketball player again. And then he comes back. And then obviously he was rusty, but he comes back with a full year under his belt or offseason, and he leads another three-peat. That is, that is, as a professional athlete, going back to his, to his career and looking at his career, that's impossible. <laughs> Not only did he have one three-peat, he, he goes to play baseball in the height of his career, the greatest basketball player ever, while in his prime, I'm going to go play baseball for a little bit because I'm going to see what Bo Jackson is doing. I see what Deion Sanders is doing. I could do that too. That's how, how much of a lunatic he, he is. I can do that too. Then, okay, I can't play baseball because of the strike. You know what? I'll go back in basketball and I go dominate again in three feet. If, if he would have done that today, the internet would explode. Twitter would, would be non existent because everybody would go, be going nuts. To compare anybody, and I love what LeBron is doing. He's an unbelievable person. He does great things for, for kids. He's an incredible athlete, incredible talent, or whoever. 
to compare anybody to Michael Jordan, it is ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You and I grew up about 30 minutes away from each other in suburban Chicago. The the Michael story, I Michael Jordan story, I have. We were playing. Gosh, it must have been. Uh, maybe I was in eighth grade, and all of a sudden we see this Mercedes with this guy with this little golf hat on. What what is it like a newspaper kid's hat on? The whole game yeah. stopped. We all looked out onto the road. It's freaking Michael Jordan smoking a cigar in his convertible Benz or whatever it was. So um, for all you that are don't even like the NBA, just go watch this thing coming up in, what is it, April 19th, because it's going to be it's yeah. going to change your mind on Michael Jordan if you don't think he's the greatest of all time. Real quick, I got something yeah. else for you. Um, your dad was on that 83 White Sox team. You're probably, what, 9 or 10. Yeah. I wonder, what was your access to the field in the locker room? And was there anybody else besides your dad that you got a chance to hang out with play catch with that was a big influence in your life i was in that clubhouse a, a lot i grew up in that clubhouse uh i love that 83 team i was like you said really young at the time i knew uh even then that winning was important you know when even though we had access to the clubhouse uh but by you know hour half before, before game time we had to leave the clubhouse because the guys had to prepare for work but if they won we were allowed back in the clubhouse tony russo was the manager at the time if they won, we were allowed to go in the clubhouse. But if they lost, we weren't allowed in. So you knew at a young age that winning was important. And, you know, I hung out, uh, and I got a chance to see guys like Julio Cruz, uh, Scott Fletcher when I was young. Uh, Harold Baines was a, was a big hero of mine growing up. He was really good friends with my dad. I ended up playing, playing with Harold Baines. I hid behind him in the lineup, which was kind of cool, <laughs> uh, in Baltimore. Uh, but just got a chance to see Carlton Fisk, those guys go about their business. They, they all treated all of us kids great, um, class guys, and it was just a fun environment. And as I got older, even when my dad stopped playing, he still allowed me to come to the clubhouse. Ozzie Guillen really taught me how to really feel ground balls uh, and, and really showed me the art of, of using your hands in the infield and just being around Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, uh, Bo Jackson, Tim Raines, all those guys really uh, helped my career because I knew how hard those guys worked at their craft, and I knew I had to do the same thing if I wanted to be a big leader. Oh, my God. You knew Bo Jackson. That's right. Didn't he hit a home run when he came yeah. back from, like, hip surgery, too? First, so, first okay. that, I'll, never, <laughs> I'll never forget. I'll tell you the Bo Jackson story. I'll never forget. I'm walking. My, my dad had to go upstairs. He was like, they allowed me in the clubhouse. I was probably 15 at the time. I was going to go hit. So I, it's in the club. I walk right in the club. So I was going to keep walking and go all the way in the tunnel to go hit. As I'm walking, uh, Tim Raines and, and uh, Bo Jackson are playing ping pong. And Bo Jackson has his uh, jeans on, but he doesn't have a shirt on, okay? He's shirtless. I have never seen a guy, okay, to this day have muscles on muscles, but it was, like, perfectly designed, meaning, you know, you see those bodybuilders that you can't move? You know what I'm saying? This guy was so shredded in ripped. Uh, the closest guy I've ever seen be like that is probably Yasuo Puig. But Bo Jackson, I, I remember seeing him without a shirt. I was like, oh, my God. How did anybody try to tackle that on the football field? <laughs> I just remember saying that. And they weren't very successful. Jerry, man, we really appreciate you joining. Sorry we went a little over. We're going to have to have you back because uh, we got to talk a little bit about – a little more about Tim Raines and then also uh, Ned Coletti, who's a friend of all of ours. And uh, so hopefully you'll come back 
and uh, talk some more baseball with us. But everybody can follow Jerry on Twitter and on Instagram at the Real J Hair for both of them. And uh, I really enjoy your Instagram post. This stuff you post with your kids is great, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Hey, real Thanks. quick, did you ever take the strip at Southern Illinois University? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> You know what the most fascinating thing is, is that last week when we were doing the show, I was telling Ryan, I don't even know why, but I got maced. And like the only time I've ever been maced and close to being arrested was there taking the strip. So for those of you that have not been down to Southern Illinois University in beautiful Carbondale, Illinois, uh, you're missing out. I don't know if they do that anymore, but God, it was fun. It, it, it was a good time. It was wild, man. Definitely wild. I'm glad they didn't have uh, uh, smartphones back then. <laughs> We'd all been arrested and nobody would have hired us ever. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate the time. Anytime, guys.